Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to a new surah, Surah Al-Humaza. Allah begins this surah um, by describing a type of person or a type of personality um, for a few ayahs, and then Allah begins to describe the punishment reserved for such people. The context of the surah is that this surah was revealed in Mecca, or i.e. before the Hijrah, before the Prophet ﷺ migrated. And so this surah is revealed in a minority circumstance. And one thing that Muslims very early on received very often from non-unbelievers, from people in Mecca, was mockery. It was mockery and gossip about them. You know, it's this, this new religion, uh, only the weaklings and the poor people seem to be taking, uh, taking a liking to it. And so they were the joke of Mecca, they were the kind of the chatter of Mecca was surrounding them. And whenever people would come across these Muslims, they would make fun of them. That, Look, these are the guys that are apparently going to, you know, beat the big empires of the day. These are the guys with God's help on their side. Look how frail they are, how weak they are, how poor they are. And so this mockery would continue. And obviously, this is a way to get, get to somebody uh, without actually engaging their ideas. You know, if somebody has an idea. Without engaging their idea, if you want to just destroy them, you don't need to engage their idea. You don't need to criticize their idea. You don't need to tell them what's wrong with their thinking or their beliefs. You just make fun of them. You know, it's, it's an easy, convenient, you know, um, a very rough, crude way to deal with somebody who you disagree with. And so people, in, in, in Muslims in Mecca, especially in a minority con con uh, context, were made fun of. And Allah mentioned this in Surah Al-Mutaffifin, another surah in, in this, in the last, uh, you know, the last 30th of the Qur'an. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ أَجْرَمُوا كَانُوا مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا يَضْحَكُونَ وَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِهِمْ يَتَغَامَزُونَ وَإِذَا انْقَلَبُوا إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِمْ انْقَلَبُوا فَكِهِينَ Whenever, whenever, you know, disbelievers would walk by the believers, they would laugh at them. كَانُوا مِنَ الْيَضْحَكُونَ They would laugh at them. When they pass by them, you know, make jokes about them, point at them, point and laugh. And, you know, it's the same thing Allah mentions about Nuh السلام, in the Quran when Nuh السلام, was building his ship. So Allah commands Nuh with this long term message of, you know, build this ark for this day when the entire world will be flooded. So Nuh is working towards that. Allah says, You know, build, construct the ship with our, our sight and our, our revelation. But whenever someone would pass by, Whenever people would pass by him, Look man, you're in the middle of a desert, why are you making this ship? You know, they can't see what he's preparing for. You know, you're at work, uh, you nip off to pray salah, people are like, why? Life is, you only live once, there's no real God, you know, what is this guy doing? Praying, you know, not coming to the pub in the evening, what is this, this, this sister doing wearing this headscarf, you know, trying to hide her beauty away because males are ravenous and, you know, what, what, what's going on? People, people who don't align with your values don't understand what you are preparing for. They don't understand, uh, you know, where you're coming from. Of course, with a conversation, you may be able to at least make them appreciate where you're coming from. But that doesn't mean people are not going to make fun of you. That doesn't mean that people are not going to, you know, put the heat on you. And so this is the context of this surah. So Allah addresses that personality of, of people in Mecca who were not sincere seekers of truth because there were some who sincerely were wondering, questioning, trying to understand. But there were some downright people who were just wretched and trying to just mock, uh, make fun of Muslims. Um, and so there's a, there's a few people, the scholars say, Ibn Kathir mentions that it, it could have been this surah could have been revealed about Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira or Al-Akhnas, Ibn Shuraiq, etc. A few people. But the, the point is that whoever it was revealed about, whether in fact it was revealed about one person, the point is general, which is وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّهُ مَزِيْتٍ لُمَزَى That's how Allah starts this surah, once we've understood the context. Uh, and wail 
um, there's a weak hadith which mentioned it's a valley in hellfire, which is and it's a it's a weak hadith. It's not authentic. Uh, Wail is a is a word used in the Arabic language to tahdid, you know, to kind of to threaten someone. Um, similar to wayh, similar to wais. There's a few words that the Arabs would use um, to threaten, to show someone consequences, to show someone kind of firmness. Kalima to wa'idin wa tahdid is kind of like a promise, like hold on, you know, watch what's going to happen. You know, uh, or a threatening message. Wailun. Um, so this, this threat, this kind of warning about the future. For whom? Who, who needs to be warned? To somebody and every person who, who does a lot of hums and lums. So humaza and lumaza are like, it's like an exaggerated way of saying hums and lums. Now, what is hums and what is lums? Al-hammaz alladhi yahmizu nasa bifi'li wal-lammaz man yahmizu nasa bi'ibaratih. So the Sheikh Salih Rasayi mentions that Al-Hamz is someone who speaks bad about other people with kind of like silent indicators, you know, uh, with, with, with subtle gestures, not, not in an obvious way. And Lamz, so that's Hamz. Hamz is the more subtle, secretive way of speaking bad about someone, um, you know, with your actions or with your how you treat someone even, that could be a form of lums, bifi'lika. And then you have lums, which is the obvious, man nasa wa when you speak like openly badly about someone. Um, or, you, or you mention their flaws, or you trying to try to put them down, pull them down, push them down. So the interesting thing is Allah didn't just mention somebody who treats others badly in general. He mentioned specifically that there are groups of people who do it by ishara, by gesture, by secret, by treatment. It's non-verbal. It's body language. That's what hems is. And lems is not body language. It's physical. It's, it's, it's verbal. You know, it's, it's someone saying something. Now, the beautiful thing here is how many of us, the thing to think of, how many of us, and now this is not in the tafsir book. This is in the tadabbur category. I'm, I'm thinking about the tafsir that we've just shared. How many of us, we speak good about others or speak good to someone, but our body language gives us away? Our body language gives away uh, our really feelings, our real feelings toward that person, or we give a gift to one, two, three people, but we ignore the fourth person. Our tasarruf, our behavior, you know, the message is sent whether we said it or not. And so we have to pay attention to both the verbal and the non-verbal cues we give people, uh, so we don't enter into this category of hams and lums. So, so Allah mentions two categories, two, two descriptions. Here is another description of, of said person that Allah is, is going to you know, warn. One who gathers wealth and counts it. Not just gathers wealth, because gathering wealth is one thing. You know, jam'ul mal, to hoard. Uh, you know, to, to, to keep adding and adding to your collection of wealth. But there's one more thing, which is al-ta'deed, to count. You know, you may be a millionaire, but if you bargain for 10p at the local, you know, the poor farmer's shop for, for fruit, you're counting the pennies. That doesn't just mean that you're kind of a hoarding personality. You like to just keep, you know, amass wealth. That also means that you have some kind of sick attachment to that money. You want to make sure it doesn't go below 2,864, 65, 66. You're keeping an eye even on the decimal point. That, that's an indicator for a sick, of a sickness in the heart. 
So why would such a person be obsessed with wealth? And this is a pattern we've seen not just in this surah, we've seen this in a previous surah uh, of somebody who, who gathers wealth or is always obsessed with wealth. And, and that wealth is what changed their perception. It changed them and it, it actually corrupted them. So Allah mentions here, somebody who gathers wealth and they, they count it. This person assumes, obviously incorrectly, that that they this person assumes obviously incorrectly and out of ignorance that this wealth that they count that they gather that they store that they hoard that they live for really uh, is going to let them live forever it's going to let them kind of live in this world forever it's going to make them infallible make them make their life here eternal in the sense that this person this is a person Allah is describing who's obviously a disbeliever but we may have a portion of some of these qualities. However, keep in mind that it is a disbelief Allah is talking about because that the person, this person who thinks that money will keep them here forever is obviously a person who does not believe in an afterlife. Allah here is describing disbelievers or a particular type of disbeliever with a particular persona. Uh, this person does not believe in an afterlife. So, uh, you know, he, he thinks that his money is going to keep him here forever. Now, today, we have a, a, a very good physical example of this, which is what's called cryogenics, which is the idea that you can invest your money in a type of science which investigates how to keep people alive for long periods of time. How to keep people alive forever, how to freeze their bodies after death and keep them alive. Um, and why do they want to stay alive? So they can enjoy that wealth more. It's, it's all about perpetual enjoyment. You know, I want to save and hoard money, uh, you know, build up my life, buy my first house, my second mortgage, my third mortgage. I want to keep building my empire here. But then obviously death is going to be a big problem for me because all my life I've built this kingdom. Even if it wasn't a kingdom, all my life I saved up to buy this one house and it was the, the sole capture of my attention my entire life and then I die. I die the day before I get the, the deed of land in my hand. I, I die the day before I get my PhD. I die the day before you know, my marriage. You know, the, that thing, that milestone that we were gathering and gathering and focusing on all our life, death can come any time. So de death is the proof that that thing that we're waiting for, that milestone, was not worth waiting for. Um, it, it was not what we should have lived our lives for. So, so somebody who, who has this sickness, who's trying to stay here forever, you know, they want that wealth so they can enjoy their life, and they, they enjoy their life so much, they enjoy the, the worldly pleasures that they want them to not end. But death waits for no one. No, but this is the mindset. So Allah, in the previous surah, Surah Al-Asr, Allah described the bare minimum qualities Muslims should have to avoid, you know, losing out in the afterlife. Here Allah begins to describe a particular persona of evil person, a particular type of, of, of disbeliever uh, who treats Muslims in a particular way. However, although Allah is describing a disbeliever, we Muslims may have some part to play, some have some share in some of these qualities that we need to check. You know, do we have that innate, that deep down, that feeling that, you know, I, I would hate to die. I would hate for my life to end. I would love to live here longer and longer. Whereas a Muslim really does feel, although I'm here as a Khalifa, I'm here as a representative of Allah. I have to preserve this earth. I have to build on this earth. I have to develop people. I have to contribute to my community. Yet, the afterlife is a real life. This is not the real life. While being conscious of my role here, my responsibility here, to be an upright citizen, to be a contributor to community, to be a brilliant family member, to be a father, a son, you know, a brother, etc., etc. 
still my heart is attached to the other life. Whenever the Prophet ﷺ would see something glimmery of this world, some wealth, some, something that's attractive, he would say, Allahumma la aisha illa aishul akhira. Oh Allah, there's no life like the life of the afterlife. So something to, to keep in mind. Allah then continues, and once he describes this persona, this personality, Allah then begins to, to talk to this person, or to talk about this person. What is their consequence? A disbeliever who mocks and is constantly belittling other people, constantly obsessed with their wealth, thinking that they're going to stay here forever. What is their, their consequence? Allah mentions. Now here there's an oath, there's an implied oath. Allah is saying, Wallahi, I swear by myself, this person, this person is emphatically, five exclamation marks, going to be thrown, thrown. To be thrown, to be chucked in. So not even like with a, there's no VIP ceremony to help here. To be chucked in, Al-Hutama. What is Al-Hutama? Uh, and, and so Al-Hutama is another name for Hellfire. So now you've seen a pattern in some of these shorter surahs where Allah calls, um, you know, you have an event like the Day of Judgment or something like the Hellfire and Allah gives it a name. He gives it a name to indicate something about it, to tell us something about it. And also to have a bit of sus mystery and suspense because we don't know what is Al-Hutama. It's not a familiar word. And then Allah begins to explain what is Al-Hutama. Like Laylatul Qadr, we don't know, we, like an average, but uh, the, the first time you hear that, you don't know what it is. Um, Al Qari'ah, you don't know that's referring to the Day of Judgment until Allah explains what it is. But He brings that up because you, you start to listen, it's, it's a way of pulling in the listener. And then also to, to, to make clear one aspect of Hellfire. What is Al Hutama? Al Hutama, Allati Tahtimu Ma Yulqa Fiha Wa Tahshimuhu. So Al-Hutama, Al-Hutama, the Hatam in the Arabic language is literally to do with the nature of fire in the way it consumes whatever is thrown inside it. In the way it eats up and tears apart its destructive ability, the, the ability of fire to destroy the fibers of metal, to melt away the carcass of a human body, to tear through skin, tissue and fiber. This ability of fire to consume to destroy is what Allah is describing here. He calls it Al-Hutama. This is its name now. It's the consumer, the destroyer, the, 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 the tatterer, the, the kind of the thing that tears away at, at, at anything that's thrown into it. Then Allah asks, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَمَ الْحُطَمَةِ How would you know what Al-Hutama is? So He hasn't yet explained. And this, is, this question that Allah asks is to add to the suspense, to add to the to kind of magnify what He's about to talk about, give it some importance. You know, you see a salesman giving a sales pitch, um, you know, and he'll be like, I'm going to tell you about something that's going to change your life. Do you know what it is? And now you're like, oh yes, what is it going to be? This is what it's like when Allah asks these rhetorical questions. Do you know? How will you know what, what it is? And then you're listening. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Narullah al It is Allah's fire uh, that is fueled, that's being fueled. Um... Now you, you ask the question, Allah did not tell us what is fueling it in this ayah. He says it's being fueled, it's fueled up and ready, it's burning, full of fuel. In another part of the Qur'an, Allah tells us, nasu wal hijara. Its fuel is human beings and stones. You know, its fuel is human beings. You know, human beings full of regrets form the petrol, the gasoline, the, the thing that lights this fire is us. You know, it's a very vivid and a fearsome sight. Narullah al-Muqada, that the fire is fueled. 
And also here Allah describes the nar, the fire, as His fire. Allah's fire that is fueled. And because it's one of His creations. He's attributing it to Himself because it's, it's only obedient to Him. It follows His command. It doesn't have a life of its own. It doesn't have a mind. You know, uh, it doesn't do as it wants to do. Allah commands it. Allah has created it for a reason. You know, it's, it's, it's a consequence of Allah's being the most just. Part of Allah's justice is that the people that deserve punishment are punished and that the people that deserve um, a reward are rewarded. Allah starts to describe this nar, this fire, this fueled fire. He says, Allah mentions that this fire, it even kind of leaps up at the hearts. You know, it it, once it's done consuming the entire body, it then comes to consume the heart. And it burns the heart. Um, but why did Allah here mention the heart specifically? That Because the fire will burn everything that's thrown in. Why the heart specifically? And the reason Allah mentioned the heart specifically is because the heart is a lot more sensitive than the rest of the body. The heart also symbolizes life. The center, the core of life. A heart attack is what ends, lands people up in hospital, you know, very close to death. That heart, that beating, pulsing symbol of life in our bodies, that's what the fire will eat. That's what the fire will consume. You know, there will be nothing left, basically. Um, and the people, people who are in hellfire will be, in, like, stuck there, imprisoned there. And they'll have given up trying to escape and trying to get out. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the next ayah, إِنَّهَا عَلَيْهِمْ مُؤْصَدَةً Jahannam or, or the fire will be closed up. They won't be able to leave. وَهُمْ يُعَذَّبُونَ فِيهَا They'll be continually punished. فِي عَمَدٍ مُمَدَّدَةً So they will be uh, around them. أَعْمِدَةً طَوِيلَةً You know, عِمَاد is the, the, a, a pillar. Um, so they'll be kind of enclosed in this place, they cannot leave. They are surrounded by, by, by long braces, by towering columns around them. Look, imagine, it's a very visual imagery. And the, the thing about them being stuck there is it, it, it adds to the description of the fire, which is that Allah mentions elsewhere in the Quran, The inhabitants of the fire call out to the guardian of the fire, Malik, the angel, the guardian of hellfire. O oh Malik, just let your Lord kill us. Just let him just finish us off. He says, no, you're staying there. So the, the idea of this punishment being eternal, continuous, no escape, the idea of being trapped. And also this contrasted with the idea that the person Allah is describing is someone in this life who probably had a very spacious and, and kind of enjoyed a, a very nice livelihood at a very high standard of living. But what does that matter? You know, what does that injustice that this person executes and per perpetrates, what does that in injustice matter in the face of a, a fire that is eating, that is consuming, that is alive, that is fueled, and that will, you know, leap up at our hearts and burn them and, and tear them to shreds, and that we will be surrounded by tall, towering columns, braces around us, we won't be able to escape. All of this description, because some people need fear in order to act. 
some people react well to love some people react well to signs and descriptions of evidences and some people they only move they only act with fear everybody's different so Allah here the janibul khawf the kind of the aspect of fear is more emphasized in this surah um, uh, you know rather than rather than the idea of hope or mercy of evidences of uh, you know intellectual signs here Allah is appealing to the, the the ability to be scared of something that's really going to happen and then therefore the descriptions of, of the fire in so much detail um, so there's quite a few points of reflection. Number one is how much, how many of the qualities mentioned of that person do we have in terms of body language, mocking others, belittling others via body language, belittling others via speech. How much of that do we do? Um, and then this idea of attachment to wealth, which Allah has repeated before, the idea that wealth can change a person, can change their motives, can change their ideals, makes them compromise on what they believe to be true. And it, it, it's a sort of, it's a, it has a magnetizing force to it. How do we resist that? Do we have any of that in our hearts? And lastly, this description of the fire. If, if the descriptions of paradise and the intellectual signs and, and the stories of the pious, if that doesn't move us to pray salah, come close to Allah, then at least... You know, let these descriptions, these fearful descriptions of the fire move us to avoid what's wrong, to stay away from injustice, to come closer to Allah. Wallahu a'lam.